As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even. Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Aaron Neesman. rookie, I'm saying it now. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you days before the NBA trade deadline. It is, we're in the depths of rumor season. We are recording this, and I feel like I have to say this, at 3.11 p.m. on Tuesday March 23rd so who knows what could happen in the time it takes us to publish this podcast episode um but right now we got trade rumors we got uh Aaron Gordon trade rumors we've got absurd Marcus Smart trade rumors we're going to get to all of that then we're going to get to a fun team meeting that apparently happened uh after the game against the Kings in which the Celtics just got beat by Darren Fox in the fourth quarter and then another the, the last thing I want to touch on is uh, the Celtics are asking Jalen Brown to take more layups and more threes, you know, something that the league's been doing for the entire past 10 years. For some reason, uh, you wrote a tweeted about this. Jalen Brown talked about this and people got very upset. And so we'll get to that. But I think what everyone wants to talk about first is the report. I think it was Matt Moore from the Action Network, um, HP Basketball, you might know him as, reporting that the Celtics are the lead team to get Aaron Gordon and that they've agreed to include two first round picks 
to get Gordon, who has been actually officially requested a trade, as I think Shams and Jared Weiss reported, and is most likely going to be dealt this deadline. Jay, before we get to the Marcus Smart component of it, I think what's your first reaction to the Celtics giving up two first-round picks, possibly for Aaron Gordon? The Celtics and Magic have always been lined up as a potential trade fit. Since Gordon Hayward, even when he was in the final year of his deal, but especially after he left and it opened up the big trade exception, the Magic are sitting there with a number of good players on reasonable salaries. And the Celtics, and, and not only that, but they have no reason to keep their team together. They should try to move some of those pieces while they still have some value. They need those- to tank this year. It's like a good draft year. Like There's no reason for them to be – they've been the eighth seed in the playoffs a number of times. You're right. Just, they need to move on. Yeah, Everyone so, knows they're going to trade players. So it makes sense. It makes sense that the Celtics are interested in Aaron Gordon. Um, he's not like a savior. He's not going to totally change their franchise direction. But – He's super athletic. He's 6'8". He's versatile. The defense is probably better than a lot of casual fans realize because they don't watch the Magic ever. And he can pass. So And he's shooting, I think, above 40% on catch-and-shoot threes this year, which is where you would think he would be in the Celtics offense. Um and so he's not like a he can he's not like a huge floor spacer, but he's not like a, a minus shooter from uh, from beyond the arc. Yeah, so and a lot of people that you talk to kind of wonder, is Aaron Gordon going to change? Would he change in a different situation? He's he's always been on teams that have been mediocre. He's never really had a great point guard. He's never really had great pieces around him. Who's the best player Aaron Gordon's played with? Vucevic, I guess. Vucevic. Vucevic like that's not does Vucevic I know he's gotten better at passing from the elbows but it's not like Vucevic is a guy who's making players around him that much better yeah I mean he's one of the better center assist guys but you're right he hasn't Gordon has not played with a point guard a wing who's made the game easier for him so the question is in a different situation would all his cutting come to life would all his you know, passing, would that be even more valuable? Could he become something in Boston or somewhere else that would be greater than what he's been throughout his career? And I think there's a possibility for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm, I know teams are curious to see what he'll be somewhere else. So yeah, the Gordon, the Gordon piece makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It's always made sense. He's been one of the targets everyone's talked about since the Celtics got the trade exception. And it makes sense to me to give up two first-round picks for him. The Celtics are going to be playoff teams in the next two years. So those picks are going to be like either high teens or low 20s or something crazy happens, uh, high 20s. But like, and we've seen what those picks can turn into. They turn into maybes. They like, if you hit and maybe you draft Sadiq Bey, which no one was talking about pre-draft. No one mentioned Sadiq Bey's name. Um, they could turn into Sadiq Bay. They could turn into Aaron Neesmith, and like, or they could be Gershon Yabusele. Like, you just—it's not really a known commodity. And I think Aaron Gordon immediately steps in, and like every minute you—you've we've seen this year that featured 
Shemi Ojale or Grant Williams at not the five, if you just imagine Aaron Gordon in that, it just feels like it takes the Celtics depth. It's just something we've talked about for literally the entire season is like lack of depth on the wing, lack of depth on the wing. It just makes their team that much more dynamic. And I think Gordon uh, is a solid playmaker. His defense uh, is very good. He can, and he can guard on the wing, um, which is something that I feel like the Celtics need. I don't really like his cornrows at the moment, but that's not something we have to talk about at this time. I just think it's like for a team that clearly is missing something that is needs a change of energy, and we can talk about this some more um, when we get to the the players-only meeting after the Kings game, they clearly need some sort of change, and I just think this is like the type of deal that makes sense for them. Now, where things get crazy, where things start falling apart that don't make any sense to me is the deal has kind of evolved into a package that also includes taking on Evan Fournier. Now for that to work and for the salaries to align, the only thing that makes sense was it be including Tristan Thompson's contract and Marcus Smart's contract. I just don't see any reason why you include Marcus Smart in a deal like, and who knows, maybe the, the magic are just like posturing here. And it's like, how do we get Aaron Gordon? The Celtics say two picks. And then the, uh, I don't know. I, maybe it's just them like wanting to get a little bit more out of the deal, but I just don't understand trading Marcus smart right now for the possibility of getting, it would be Marcus smart and two and those two first round picks we've already mentioned to get Gordon and Fournier. It doesn't make sense to me. One Marcus smart is the heart and soul of the team. You love him. You trust him. He's been in the Celtics the entire time uh, for his career. He just feels like he is the lifeblood of this team. Everyone in the like uh, Celtics organization has just like only good things to say about him. And it just doesn't seem like an upgrade to me to add Fournier, who's a solid score, like 20 points a game. He can get buckets, but you don't Google his last name. And you just uh, – he's just not – He's not a, he doesn't move the needle. He's not a needle mover and uh, never will be, especially when you're giving up uh, Marcus Smart. Yeah, I, I think Fournier could be helpful. I mean, he's a scorer. He's a playmaker. He's got size. If if you add Fournier to the Celtics depth chart, that makes a big difference. Then they don't have to play some of the other players. The The smart thing and, and kind of the value there, uh, I just question it. It would be Fournier, he's on an expiring contract, which is exactly what the Celtics have kind of avoided. Danny Ainge does not want to throw a lot to get a rental. He has proven it time after time. That's one of the reasons why he's been silent at the trade deadline for the last six years, ever since scooping up Isaiah Thomas, Jonas Jurebko, and the great Gigi Dutomi. So it it would be weird if if they gave up considerable value to get Fournier. Now, if if the Magic wanted Smart as part of a Gordon trade, and the Celtics considered Gordon an upgrade, and I, I don't know if he is, um, then it'd be one thing to ask for Fournier as as you know an extra, but but. Placing a lot of value on Fournier would be against what the Celt- how the Celtics have operated under Danny Ainge. And so I just don't see that piece of it as being realistic. But 
who knows there's some benefits to it like you could still maintain some part of the trade exception if you with that framework of a deal uh but i just don't think it makes that much sense like it feels like you you're giving the two first round picks for gordon you're clearly like increasing the the depth and the the uh, on the wing and you're just adding another player there but i don't get the swapping smart for fournier i just don't know who you have playing perimeter defense at that point uh who's just like a plus defender fournier Aaron gordon is aaron gordon guarding like the best the team's best point guards or things like that like i just i don't I maybe I don't know enough about Aaron Gordon's game. He is like a strong defender, but it's just it feels like you're still lacking on perimeter defense if you're just relying on Jalen Brown and Aaron Gordon to do all of that without Marcus Smart. Jason Tatum, no love for Jason Tatum from from Jam Packer. Is he is he Garden ones? Yeah, he he does spend some time Garden ones. Okay, yeah, maybe Ben Simmons at Tatum's length. No, they they throw him on like Chris Paul and stuff that. That's a fair point. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. The one thing crazy idea that I um, don't think will actually happen, but if you look at their salaries, Kemba Walker and Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier salaries line up pretty much identically. That's a deal that I would be more interested in looking in if I was the Celtics, just because getting Kemba's $30 million off the books just adds so much more flexibility for this team moving forward. There's been a lot of talk about adding Aaron Gordon and how that affects the salary cap or the hard cap and the tax line. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert in all of those things, but I do know if you add Gordon's salary without adding a lot of salary going out, they're like Wick Grossbeck and the owners are going to have to pay a fair share of uh, money uh, moving forward. Something that they've said they've been willing to do to put together a contender, but is that something they're willing to do for multiple seasons in a row when it's like, I don't know what the exact number it is. I think I've seen something like an extra 25 million a year, um, but it's just something to consider. I would be much more amenable to getting rid of the Kemba contract. He has a history of playing under Steve Clifford down in Orlando. It feels cruel to send anyone to Orlando, which is think of my hesitation to uh, send smart there, but that would make more sense to me if you're trading a guard to get a, uh, to get those two guys is sending out the big contract guy rather than the the um, $10 million guy in Marcus Smart. Would you be hesitant given that the Celtics have lost six straight games on the second leg of back-to-backs when Kemba's out? Like, like it's, it's easy to say dump Kemba Walker. His contract is a lot. Uh, move on to other pieces. But... And I do think it's it's fair to to wonder what the Celtics will do with Kemba long term because he's getting older, his knee issues are still there. It's he may not be the perfect fit next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You could at least wonder, you know, what what that would look like defensively if Marcus Smart was the point guard most of the time. And I think, you know, that that could potentially be just an awesome, awesome defense. But the the Celtics have really suffered when Kemba's not there to to run the show. But and, doesn't that cut the other way? The fact that for the second night of back to backs, you're not playing Kemba Walker just because of his health concerns? Like 
I understand that he clearly has value and that they're a better team, but you also, in order to have him ready for the playoffs, he's not going to play in 15 to 20 of your games. He already missed a large chunk of games to start the season. And so you have to wonder, is his knee going to be any, is he going to get to a point where he's going to be playing in the majority of games at any point in his Celtics career? He still has two years on his deal after this. I just think the financial burden there is something that you have to worry about if you want the Celtics to be like a, a flexible team moving forward. And so I understand he clearly makes their team better now. I just am intrigued by the idea of Marcus Smart starting point guard. And then in this context, it would be Jalen, Jason, Aaron Gordon, and then probably Robert Williams. That feels like an crazy good – that's rhythmatic. That's a team that is – providing defensive rhythmatism all the way around. It just feels like Kemba, his offense doesn't necessarily fit in with the Jays right now. Marcus Smart is definitely, he has some questionable decision-making at times, and we can talk about that in the context of the end of the Grizzlies games, but it feels like there's a clear hierarchy where it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Browner will be getting the ball do you need a ball dominant guy like Kemba there uh, necessarily? And or do you need to be paying him $30 million a year for the next two and a half seasons? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a fair argument debate to have. I don't think there's like a perfect answer. And I think from the Celtics perspective, it's, it's tough to like upgrade from Kemba because right now he doesn't have much value. If any, you know, his his contract is big. It lasts for two seasons beyond this one. And whatever the Celtics do, whether they keep Kemba, move on from Kemba, whatever, then it's it's going to be important for them to to keep flexibility because like like we've said it several times, the Tatum and Brown clocks, they're ticking. And they have to we've seen in several situations that when teams can't build a championship contender around young stars, it often leads to those young stars looking elsewhere. And so the Celtics have what two, three years to get this right before they'll have to start dealing with, okay, Jalen may want to go elsewhere. Okay. Tatum may want to go elsewhere. So there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of pressure on the Celtics right now. You know, it's it's these decisions, they have to get right. You know, I, I think Danny Ainge set himself up. The best thing he did was to set himself up with a lot of swings. And, and he's come up empty with some of those swings, but he still has the Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum swing. And that's a good swing, but but there's pressure now because there are two outs. You know, yeah. Continue that metaphor. He struck yeah, that, out the first two outs. <laughs> that baseball <laughs> metaphor. Keep it going. But yeah, there, there are there are two outs, and it's it's getting into late innings. So it's a late innings, and there's a one-two count. And then you know what? <laughs> you got to take the the team shaded to the opposite field. And you know what? It, it, is the hit and run sign on? Did you remember the signs from the third base coach? You don't know. And so, exactly. So, but but there there's a lot of pressure now. And and they don't have that treasure chest of assets that they used to. And they don't have the depth chart that they used to that was loaded, you know, through the ninth, tenth guy. And and they so 
Ainge has to get this right. And if he doesn't, then there will be consequences. He might even lose his job. But that sounded so dramatic. There yeah, will be consequences. Things will happen if it, uh, he doesn't succeed. We can We can say that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now, the like kind of everyone's talking about the Aaron Gordon rumor because obviously when it's said that the Celtics are the lead team. That's what everyone's going to talk about. But it could be a smokescreen. I feel like trades in the past, like the Kyrie trade came out of nowhere. I think the Isaiah Thomas trade was not really rumored, although that was a much smaller deal at the time. What happens if the Aaron Gordon trade is just smokescreen? What other deals do you think potentially are out there? Or are there any other rumors that have surfaced uh, kind of this week in the trade deadline do you think are interesting from a Celtics perspective or just from the a league perspective? Uh, I mean, Harrison Barnes is a name that's still there. There are, I mean, we've, we've talked ad nauseum about all the possible trade. Team George Hill, Target. friend of the podcast, George Hill, really George, ready for it. George Hill. Uh, but no, I mean, from a league perspective, the Kyle Lowry one, that's a situation that has he, huge implications just for the, the teams uh, competing with the Celtics for the top of the East. I mean, the Raptors are completely imploding right now, and you love to see it because Nick Nurse is a petulant child, and Pascal Siakam said something to allegedly get him a $50,000 fine, but... It's either the Raptors, the Heat, or the 76ers. And if you add Kyle Lowry to the Heat or the 76ers, the 76ers are already a top three team in the East. The Heat are playing fantastic basketball. That basically, to me, would solidify the Celtics as, at best, the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. And so that, or no, because... Never mind. I forgot. I, I, I forgot that the 76 were up there. If the Heat get uh, Kyle Lowry, I think that makes them clearly a top four team. It's just uh, for all of the hype that is going into the Celtics this year for the them being around the trade deadline. If one of your two kind of main rivals adds a player of all uh, Kyle Lowry's caliber, that's like a huge swing and just in terms of the power in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and I think Lowry is the one guy that you look at that could realistically get traded and he could swing a championship he could be the piece that a team is really missing all the other names they could help it could be a peripheral piece could help with depth lowry can be one of the main pieces for a team and you look at philadelphia that's what they need right they they need exactly what kyle lowry does a little more shot making a little more playmaking from their point guard a little more creativity at the end of games someone to 
to run the show in the half court when things are tight. And on top of that, he's a great defender, all that. So, yeah, Lowry, Lowry is the one situation. And the Pascal Siakam stuff is weird. It, it's been a weird year for Siakam. I, he was suspended earlier in the year, right, for like he, conduct detrimental? It, wasn't, it was sort of a suspension. They benched him for a game. I don't think they docked him pay, so it wasn't really a suspension. But he's he's had the benching. Now he's gotten fined for yelling something at his coach. And Nick Nurse got fined the other day for like throwing his mask uh, when he was having a temper tantrum. Yeah, and, and things happen when you lose, but enough has happened with the Siakam situation. How often do you see a guy benched for a full game in the NBA? That that shit never happens. So enough has happened with Siakam to make you wonder what's going on there, what Toronto's going to do. And I think given where they are in the standings, they're out of the playoff race right now. They've and lost I know, nine in a row. And it's yeah, like, oh, Half of that was, or more than half of that probably was when everyone, their whole roster was out. So I blame Nick Nurse for that. I mean, can't even <laughs> control his locker room from getting COVID. So, yeah, I, I think the Raptors are a team that can dictate a lot of what happens. And if they do turn into sellers, you know, Norm Powell is there, Kyle Lowry, um, OG. I don't want to. I don't want to say Siakam, but but you do wonder after the weirdness going on with him this season. Yeah, it's interesting situation, and it feels like Kyle Lowry has a lot of the decision. Like he, I don't think he has official no trade clause, but I think if he went to the Raptors and said trade me to, like I think Windhorse described it as Kyle Lowry's free agency, and where he gets to ultimately make the decision of where he wants to go. If he wants to go to Miami, I'm pretty sure he's good friends with Jimmy Butler, or he's from Philly. Um, I think that just has big implications. And I think it puts more pressure on the Celtics to, if the Sixers are loading up, the Heat are loading up, you're adding more stars. The Nets already are a star-laden team. The Bucks, who the Celtics will have to play twice in the next two games, um, they're making deals for P.J. Tucker. It just puts more pressure on the Celtics to continue to add guys uh, to their team to put around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The only other thing that like really stood out to me was the Malcolm Brogdon rumors. I didn't necessarily. Yeah. Did you see Sabonis? Demontis Sabonis rumors? And possibly Sabonis, just they're monitoring the situation. I don't know what that means. Uh, Sabonis is a great player. I don't know why they would necessarily trade him. Um, Brogdon makes a little bit more sense just because they gave him like ridiculous money and uh, restricted free agency to get him away. And so, I don't think he's necessarily a fit for the Celtics, but I think he's just a very solid player who always seems to have success against the Celtics, who I didn't necessarily think was going to be on the market um, at this time. It's funny because, and I don't know, we'll see how many people actually end up being traded, but all the talk going into this is like, oh, there's not going to be enough players. Uh, The play-in tournament makes it so there's no sellers, and now it's just like a couple days before the deadline, and it's just rumors galore. It's rumor season, man. This is rumor season. That's what it's all about. This week is always just madness. Victor Oladipo is going to get traded. Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier are going to get traded. Those things I feel like we can know. But beyond that, I think it's there's a lot of bluster. Um, but we shall see. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the Celtics do because they need to make a move at this point because the current team is not 
cutting it. And now we're going to transition to talking to the actual basketball, the actual games. They're in a bit of they're in a five games and seven nights stretch, but they've played three games since we last talked. And the loss to the Sacramento Kings was just bad. Like the defense has not been good and they just showed an inability to stop De'Aaron Fox, which is something that they showed an inability to do when they play the game in Sacramento. Uh, it was such a bad loss that they decided to come together and have a players-only meeting. Was it to- players-only? Oh, I don't know. You're the reporter. You yeah. tell me the facts. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it was players-only. There, there might have been coaches in there. Brad Stevens took a while after that game to to give his press conference. So I don't, I don't know if it was players-only. I would actually be surprised if it was players-only. Well, they had a meeting nonetheless to talk about effort and pride and how they like want to be remembered. And it seemed like it had some benefits when they played a Sunday afternoon game against the Magic and won pretty much that game thoroughly. Then they have a back to back where they find out quickly before the, you already know going into the game, Kemba's not going to be there. They find out before the game that Jason Tatum has some sort of, uh, non-COVID related illness and so he's going to be out that's a tough game to go into basically without Tatum and without Kemba I thought they played pretty hard I thought they did well to get that game into overtime but they still made some questionable decisions to kind of throw that game away but if we're doing the classic process over results I think whatever was said in the meeting had worked a little bit because it feels like the Effort was not a question, and they um, uh, just were doing playing, I guess, better basketball. Jeff Teague came out of nowhere, scoring 20, I think, 22 points. Um, but still, the Celtics are under 500 as we speak. And so I don't know, like, I don't know what the solution is at this point. I, this team is just consistently confusing to me because they just can't get stops on the defensive end when they need it. And it really, the roster hasn't changed since they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and I just don't really understand why the the defense, um, especially late, they're what a no, this, like eleven and eighteen in clutch games now. It's not good. You, they just can't seem to get stops late, and I just and it's I'm just not like smart enough. Communication, like they let Ja Morant get wide open for a layup on an out of bounds play. In crunch time, like how I don't understand how, how does that, that happen? Happens. There's 31 seconds left, and they just don't cover Dylan Brooks on an inbounds play, and he's wide open. He missed it, but John ja Morant gets the rebound. It's like what? How are you guys not locked in with 31 seconds left in a four point game? How are you not locked in on an inbounds play? And John ja Morant just literally just turns and is wide open and lays the ball in like what is going on and so I mean you can talk about positive signs from the last two games offensively which is which is fair but some of the the lack lack of communication the errors down the stretch giving up 80 points in the paint it is against a team that you want to force into shooting threes because they don't have many good three-point shooters. It's all just puzzling 
and troubling and disgusting. It's and it doesn't like I just don't get it doesn't feel like there's a problem with their scheme necessarily. Uh, although I guess the problem of letting guys into the paint, if it feel like it's been a major issue, but uh, I just don't know exactly w- how they fix that moving forward. If it's more team meetings, if it's more um, just effort, if it's just guys coming together, if it's Marcus smart playing 30 minutes a game or it's time Lord getting more minutes. Like it did feel like Robert Williams made a pretty big impact when he came into the game and kind of uh, it's felt like the, the Grizzlies had those 80 points in the paint, like in the first three quarters. And then that really slowed down in the fourth quarter as we got more Robert Williams. And so I don't know what exactly the answer is, but I also don't know like what the adjustments are on the offensive end. It feels like there's been an emphasis clearly placed on shot selection and getting to taking more threes, which is something they've done over the past two games and getting layups. And it's clearly something that they've Jalen Brown has put an emphasis on and the coaches have put an emphasis on. He knocks down 10 three pointers against the magic 10 of 18 from there. And then um, I think just maybe put more emphasis on that again in the Grizzlies game. You wrote an article about that today from uh, on the athletic. I think that like just makes sense as a fix for this team. And it's something that Brad Stevens coach teams have always kind of struggled to do is get to the line. Um, In past years, they've been one of the top three point shooting teams in the league. And that has certainly uh, declined this year. And so, and I think it makes sense as an adjustment, um, but I don't, it feels also weird to like this, that's the adjustment 45 games or wherever they are into the season. Or it's like, why, why have they not been doing this from the start? Yeah, I, I think obviously one of the knocks on Brad has been that he hasn't been forceful enough about shot selection. Um, I mean, you you think back to the 2018-19 team and all the isolation mid-range jumpers that they... Iso Mook. Missing. Yeah, they've never been great at getting to the rim. They've, they've never been a huge free throw team. And I think part of that is personnel. Like, they've had a number of their best players from Al Horford to Kyrie Irving to now Jason Tatum are n- not guys who are super physical driving to the rim and, and picking up free throw attempts, no matter where they've been, uh, obviously Tatum only in Boston, but, um, but I think it's possible that the Celtics, I mean, they were fourth or fifth in offense last year. They have, they are built to give, all their main guys freedom like it's the the way to score i think is to have those three guys be awesome tatum brown and kemba and have everybody else fill in off that it hasn't worked out and i i say that not just because of the numbers in offensive efficiency but because the the process has led to the celtics launching a lot of mid-range jumpers and I know Jalen's been really good at that. Like he's become he one started of the, the season what eighty percent or like eighty five percent from mid range twos, like it, something it absurd, was ridiculous. Um, and maybe that was bad. That was a classic case of good results, bad process. Because eventually that's going to come down and fall back to earth. But it leads to having long term bad shot selection, which is something that I think is why there's like a refocusing. Um, especially with J- like with Jalen in mind uh, as the season progressed, and it's something he talked about recently. 
Yeah, and it, it it's not something where they're gonna want him to eliminate all of his mid range game. Like, no, that's part of what makes him special. Uh, you look at basically any really great scorer has a mid range game, and and you know when when they talk about the the mid range is dead, like it's dead for the supporting guys. Like you need all your role players need to shoot threes and be spaced at the arc. But for the main guys living in that mid range is necessary. And in the playoffs, sometimes that's the best shot you can get. But for the Celtics, they just need more urgency to get better looks on a consistent basis. And I think that's what they're stressing to Jalen. Like if you need to shoot mid range, cool, that's fine. But first try to get to the rim or try to get to the rim, then kick out to somebody for an open three. Or, you know, if if you have an open three or be more aggressive looking for that. So it's I don't think it's something where they're they're taking they're not going full Maury ball like Houston Rockets, like the Houston Rockets and the RGV Vipers, their G League team used to like you were not practiced. There would be no drill in which you would take a mid-range jumper. Like, they're completely trying to beat that out of their game. I don't think that's a Brad Stevens style at all. But it is certainly, like, Jalen Brown is one of the, is the better, probably the best transition basketball player um, on the Celtics in terms of offense. Like, he has shown an ability to, like, attack the rim and attack the rim hard. Uh, I think getting the ball in Jason Tatum's hands on a low block, I think he's made great strides in trying to attack the rim that way. And so... I th- it just makes sense in terms of just not relying on that mid-range jump shot and and be more aggressive from three, which is uh, something we saw Jalen do over the past two games. He's clearly a better shooter, and just pure percentage-wise, it makes more sense for him to be aggressive from beyond the arc than aggressive two feet in front of it. Yeah, and I think I think it it's important to keep in mind it's not just about Jalen. Like like the Celtics as a team have not been good about hunting their the best shots. And as a team, they have not had good ball movement. And one way to promote ball movement is get into the paint and and then spray it out. And and Jalen can get into the paint um, if he has more focus on that. If he's trying to get layups and then someone cuts him off there, then he could end up opening up things for everybody else. You know, there were a couple of plays against Memphis where he got in the paint because he wanted to get there and put a focus on getting there and then found somebody wide open for three. And I think teams have kind of adjusted with Jalen this year. Um, and and they've kind of sent tons of help because they're not convinced that he can be a great passer. And and so if he can develop more of that and get into the pain and be better at that, then it'll open up things for everybody else too. So it's not just about Jalen that this, the coaching staff wants to – you know, have him eliminate mid-range. It's how do they use Jalen's skills to open up things for the entire roster? And he's he's their best, most physical driver of the basketball. He's the guy who can get to the lane. And and it's 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 weird that his percentage of shots at the rim has has dipped the last couple of years because he's actually gotten better at at driving and all that stuff. But he's kind of used it to set up, you know, little short mid-range shots, um, which is fine. But also I think if he has, if he wants to be more physical and draw more free throws, 
then then I think he's capable of doing that. Yeah, and it's so it only really works if he's shooting 75% on those mid-range jumpers and it makes sense like if he has that much success to kind of fall back into that but to clearly just have the same mentality of attacking the rim. I do think it's just the Celtics offense the ball movement has not been there because I think there is so much reliance on Tatum and Brown. Um, and so I think Tatum does a better job of getting to the rim and then like kind of spraying the basketball around. I, but clearly if, and especially in games when Kemba's not playing, uh, they're going to need a secondary person to do that. And that falls squarely on um, Jalen Brown's shoulders. And so I also thought it was interesting, his comments, I think after, was it after the Kings game where he talks about his, inability or his failure as a leader and how that keeps him up his night. I don't know like what's really going on in Celtics locker room because I don't think anyone does because of COVID there's just so much like less access and we get less of a sense of how they're interacting. But I think part of the leadership is like I, him being more consistent because um, it feels like Tatum's going to give you uh, what he like, and we can talk about Tatum's consistency as well. Cause I don't think he's been great at it this year, but Jalen Brown was great to start the season and the Celtics won a lot more basketball games than they're winning. And then it feels like as his games dips or an ebbs and flows, so do the Celtics. And they're going to need him to be that second guy, that second star every single night, because it can't just be entirely on Tatum or there's those moments where Tatum's not playing. They need another guy to step up just to consistently win basketball games, which is not something that they're doing at this point. Yeah. And, then the other piece of it is the the emphasis on shot profile is something Brad has talked about in the media for a little while now. And it's something that they need to change. Like they have fallen behind other teams in the three-point evolution. And and it's they've never under Stevens gotten to the paint. So or gotten to the rim. But they like made up for it by jacking threes and making them at a higher enough percentage that it like they could still have a a super efficient offense. If they're going to also not get to the rim and then all not make like not one, not shoot a number of threes and then just not like have a lot of great three point shooters, their offense really suffers, as we've seen, um, especially down the stretch of like close games. Yeah. So I think it's very important for the team that that he does stress that more and I don't know whether it's hold guys accountable put you know like like you've heard stories of how some teams like put circles of where guys need to stand or you know the the Rockets they wouldn't even let you shoot mid-rangers no matter what I don't know if he needs to go that far but there needs to be more of an emphasis on it and they need to get back to shooting three-pointers and creating the right types of shots um you know what I think? I think Kemba Walker should extend his range well beyond the three-point line. I think that would be a major point of emphasis for them that would improve this I've, team. I've heard somebody say say that before, but but I think it's really important. I think you can see like other teams. Uh, the take the Jazz as one example. Like they came back toward the end of last year and just were launching a ton of threes and creating a ton of threes. And I think the emphasis on that, on being willing to shoot, on being willing to pass to an open guy, on being hell-bent on getting to the paint and using those paint touches to create the right types of opportunities, whether it's layups or threes, that carried over, and they've been awesome. And and so the Celtics, 
they're not their supporting cast isn't super talented, but they can tweak the numbers in their favor if if they start running better offense and creating better looks, more more quality looks, more efficient looks as a team. I think actually in Robert Williams playing more will have a, a positive impact on that. The one thing that struck me when the Celtics played the Jazz was how you just couldn't step up on picks set by Rudy Gobert because you had to stay to Gobert's body, and the Jazz just stepped into so many open threes. I think Robert Williams, with that vertical spacing, with that gravity, um, and we've seen him kind of create the good looks with his ability to set picks on the perimeter, I think can uh, lead to kind of the Celtics doing uh, taking more of those better shots. But we shall see moving forward. Two tough games against the Bucks coming up um, with the trade deadline sandwiched in between. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the Celtics respond. Jay will finish up the episode with everyone's favorite segment. It is the world-famous potable six-pack brought to you by the Santilli IPA from our friends over at Night Shift. If you want a good IPA, if you just want good beer in general, go to our friends at Night Shift. They One, they deliver if you're anywhere in the Boston area. They will deliver to you, um, but also they have beers all over the East Coast. If you want that delicious Santilli IPA, go to nsbeer.co slash beerfinder, and they'll tell you where to pick it up. Also, highly recommend going visiting uh, their brewery in Everett on the Santilli Highway, or once fans are coming back to games at the end of this month, going to Long Wharf um, right by the TD Garden. It's a coffee shop. It's a brewery. It's a great place to hang out. So support our friends at Night Shift because they support us. Jay, we have the potable six-pack from the last three games. I will give you the first pick. What is the most important thing that has happened or most entertaining Um and it doesn't even have to be that. We have the entirety of March Madness, if you want to, uh, to pick from. So you get the first pick because you're a stand-up Ooh, gentleman. March Madness. We're, we're adding March Madness into this. There are no rules in the six-pack. I got to go with Abilene Christian, man. Abilene <laughs> Christian. Defensive performance. I didn't know we were talking about March Madness. Neither did I until I said it. But they have they had like five six five seven guards just running around everywhere taking charges i'm not sure i've ever seen a team play harder than they did in their upset of texas in round one they had absolutely zero offensive talent like not a single guy (laughs) who could put the ball in the basket they they just willed their way to a victory against the number three seed they got cracked by ucla in round two probably like they should have gotten cracked in round one but Abilene, man, and then some a fifty nine percent free throw shooter drilled to 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 beat Texas. I I was all in on Abilene. They are the grittiest. That was one of the grittier performances I've seen in the NCAA tournament, probably ever. So Abilene, it's a great first pick. It's a love a gritty performance like that. Um, I like that you went to it immediately when I opened it up to the March Madness, and so that's a fantastic uh, selection. You're more of a college hoops guy than I, so I'm just going to take it back to the Celtics world because I can't think of anything else immediately right now. But Jalen Brown hit 10 three-pointers in the game. There's a reason folks call him down. The ninth was saucy. A lot of them were quite saucy, but the ninth ninth was was like... Step back, like, sheesh. Step back, around the back. Wow. And I wanted him to break the record. He said after the game that if he knew he had one more to break Marcus Smart's record, he would have launched about five or six more of them. But... Anytime you hit 10 three-pointers in the game, you're going to get a, a 
a pick from me for the potable six pack. Um, my second pick, I don't want to steal this from you, but I'm having trouble. It's either picking a Grizzlies highlight or, um, Oh, I'll go with this one. Live by Marcus Smart, die by Marcus Smart at the end of that Grizzlies game. He has uh, just an excellent play for the lob to Tice uh, to tie that game up, to send it into overtime. And then in overtime, he gives up just an easy steal to Kyle Anderson that just like didn't really understand what was going with uh, going on there. And then he launched another ridiculous three where it looked like he was trying to draw the foul and uh, but just launched her bad three. And I know it's like, this is not, normally we highlight great things in the potable six pack, but it was just the perfect encapsulation of like what makes him an uh, amazing player is like the winning play to get them to overtime. And then just some questionable, like what the, what's going on here, Marcus, uh, in the actual overtime. He was also part of the duo uh, that let John Morant uh, get the easy bucket at the end. So, I'm going to just say the Marcus Smart experience for my number two pick. Uh, I'm going with the John Morant lefty slam. That was going to be my other pick, but yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. And he had another play where he's just damn good. Like behind the back dribble and his layup, some of his finishes, he's like wildly impressive. The full speed around the back. And then beat Tice, even though Tice kind of touched it, but it went in anyway. That was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was unbelievable. So Ja was doing some special shit. The Celtics defense was not doing some special shit. Um, now I got to go. It's team meeting season. It's team <laughs> meeting season. I, uh, th- this is just shades of two years ago. So many shades of two years ago. With less star power. (laughs) Less star power, not as much drama, but just a team that's in shambles and trying to find its soul. (laughs) And, like, the thing that's interesting about two years ago is, like, we could go into the locker rooms and could kind of sense the vibes were not right. Here we'd like get so much less access to the team where it's hard to tell what's going on, but clearly they're frustrated after wins or after losses. Like it's like they had the whole Marcus Smart just be like, it's not fun to lose. Like he had the very ominous quote, like basically plucked Marcus Morris's quotes from two years ago. Yeah. But he said also said like outside guys, like not contributing with the distractions and like who knows who he's subtweeting with that quote. Brad Stevens saying it's not fun. It's uh, they need a montage. They need something to fix this. They need some they need sort a cross of cross country flight. That, remember that fixed the 2018-19 Celtics for like two days. Remember that Warriors game? They crushed the Warriors <laughs> after that cross country flight. They were singing karaoke. Everything was great. Um, and so they need something right now. Uh, it's gonna like, and that's why I think like a trade. It's gonna be very interesting to see if a trade comes and like changes up the the vibe of the locker room or just changes the dynamic because right now it's not, it's just not working. They are a game under 500 and they cannot string two wins together to save their lives. Yeah. They, they may need some new energy. They may need some new energy. They're, they're under 500 and it, it's tough. 
on the second night of back-to-backs when Kemba's out and then Tatum got scratched right before the game. Like, And they're playing five games in seven nights. Like, it's Yeah, just... so they're excuses, but Brad always stressed like he doesn't want the Celtics to be an excuse team. I can remember like 2015, the first year they made the playoffs when they acquired Isaiah. They were under 500 with one day of rest. I think they were under 500 on all non-back-to-backs. The second night of a back-to-back, they were 13 and 5. And and Brad was proud as hell of that. He was like, "We stress these guys no matter what happens, we want to be ready to play basketball." And and he he loved that they overcame that shit. So it, he probably pukes at the fact that they haven't been able to step up when Kemba's out and they haven't been able to scrape together wins against what really have been some shitty opponents. Like they lost to the Hawks twice, the Kings. A Hawks have won eight in a row, my guy. Yeah, but it's, it's not like that's an unwinnable game. The Hawks twice, the Kings, the Cavs, the, the Grizzlies, like none of those teams are super, but the Celtics have lost six straight to that crew on the second night of back-to-backs. They're just not resilient enough. Brad? And another reason why you probably don't trade your toughest and like most energetic player right now is just putting it out there. But he hasn't had the solution. Like he just like relying on Marcus Smart. As I said earlier, my potable six pack, like he has some questionable decisions, but normally he's the guy you rely like to be that gritty. They need to channel their inner Abilene Christian and just kind of just play some defense and lock in. Um, For my final pick, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Semi Ojale trying to contest a ball, uh, a shot from his that ass. That was fantastic. That was so awesome. <laughs> Falling down on his ass, still tried to get his hands up. Um, yeah, he was like f- five feet shorter than while he was sitting down. He was five feet away from contesting what was going on, but he tried. He tried. He tried. You got to give him credit. He's uh, getting in his airspace, but I'm going to give my final pick to Jeff Teague 26 points, 10 of 12 from the field. 39 minutes of basketball, just like he's been written off so much. Got to give Teague some credit when he drops 26, pulling floaters, uh, layups just out of nowhere. Maybe Teague, maybe just that's all Teague needed was 35 minutes a game to try to kind of unlock his Atlanta Hawks potential. That's it. Play him 39 minutes every game. He'll be. That's, <laughs> that's the solution. <laughs> that's all the right. fix. That's forget forget all the talk about changing shot selection and shit. Don't like need that. a trade. Just play more team. Don't don't worry about the defense, which is ranked twenty sixth since I believe February first. Thirty nine minutes of team will help that. Thirty nine minutes of team, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. And if that happens, we'll be here to talk about it. We'll come to you guys with another podcast Friday morning, breaking down whatever happened to the Celtics in the trade deadline and their first game against the Bucks. If you guys enjoy the show, please continue listening. Uh, tell a friend, rate, subscribe, rate it five stars. Do all those things. It really helps us out. And thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Potable!